Um, anyway, so uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, I came back from America. I took a team of uh, 11 people and myself to America. We just kind of did a bit of a tour of the States just to see a couple of churches, see how a few things are done, and uh, have a good time along the way. So many stories. I'm not going to bore you with them all tonight, uh, but too many stories to tell in one sitting. So that's going to be my preaching material for the next couple of months. So uh, you'll hear about that as we go. Um, well, I've got the mic as well. Um, uh, in January the 10th to the 13th, we have our annual Youth and Young Adult Conference. Uh, it's, it, we partner with Youth Alive and we take a whole bunch of young people to a conference uh, in at Mansfield and we stay as a group. Uh, so if you're interested in that, please see me after the service. We are printing off some more flyers with some information. $165 and that secures your accommodation, your breakfast and uh, your conference registration. So it will be an amazing time uh, and uh, it will make sure that we've only got 55 spots. So please make sure that you get in early. Uh, otherwise, when the cutoff closes, it closes for good. Um, we live in a world of slogans. You see slogans everywhere. There's giant billboards. Uh, you know, companies pay billions of dollars so that they can come up with a slogan that is going to stick in your head. That you, you know, that you can quote verbatim. That when a certain thing happens, that it brings to memory that slogan. And uh, you know, if I was to say I'm loving it, you would think of McDonald's. Uh, obviously, a healthy service tonight. That's good. If I was to think, if I was to say finger licking good, you would be thinking of not a healthy service tonight. Um, what about maybe she's born with it? Maybe it's Maybelline. Uh, so <laughs> slogans. I could list hundreds, thousands, uh, and and you know it, it identifies the product, it identifies the company, and uh, and and I, I I wonder what would come to your mind. I wonder what slogan would come to your mind. When I said church, you know, what, 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 what thoughts, what memories, what cognitive uh, process would happen when I mentioned church? And, and what would that mean to you? And chances are it would mean different to the person beside you. It would mean different to the person behind you. Uh, because church is such a, a broad thing. But uh, I, I wonder, you know, is, is that memory, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it sometimes up, sometimes down? What would the church's slogan be? If Oak's slogan is kill hungry thirsty, what would the church's slogan be? Or what would the church's slogan be in your life? Because it, like I said before, it is different. And uh, so tonight, the title of my message, if you're taking notes, uh, is being the church. You know, uh, in, you know, kind of, in those kind of uh, yoga type things. You're gonna, you know, you got to be the ball. You got to push the ball. You've got to be, you know, kind of incarnate yourself into those kind of things. But what would it? What does it mean to be the church? What does that mean to be? Because people can be a part of the church, but I actually believe that it's God's intention and God's purpose that we are actually the church. And uh, there's a stark contrast. There's a stark difference there. And uh, what does it mean to be the church in 2017? Is it the same as what it meant to be the church in AD 100 or AD 50? What does our concept of the church look like? And does it match up with what Jesus conceptualized, what Jesus thought about the church? And, uh, you know, if, if this is your first time in church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, you know, don't feel like you have to 
participate in anything, you're more than welcome just to sit and observe, and we're so glad that you are here. Uh, But I want to talk tonight about what it means to be the church. In 2000, because Christmas is a time when, uh, you know, the church kind of rises up because this is our time of year. It's our time to shine. You know, the, uh, the whole Christmas story, that's, that's our gig. Uh, but, but what does it mean to be the church long term? What does it mean to be the church in your workplace? What does it mean to be the church as an individual? And uh, Jesus says in Matthew 8, chapter 8, verses 18 and 22, and this is just a story. Uh, he doesn't necessarily mention the church inherently. I want to have a look at, at, at how Jesus' ministry worked and then have a look at, at what the, the different components of what it means to be the church, what it means to be in a thriving church. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, it says this. It says, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have the air. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. When Jesus began his ministry on earth, there was three key demographics that he interacted with. There was three key demographics that he uh, encountered along his way. The first were those that were hostile to his message. The first were those that disagreed. They, they, they uh, dismissed him. Uh, people like the Pharisees, they dismissed the message of Jesus. They dismissed the gospel that he was preaching almost outright. Then there was uh, the authority at the time, the Roman Empire. They dismissed his message because he was stirring up uh, content- resentment towards Rome. And, uh, so, so they, and, and in life, there will always be people that are hostile to the message of Christ. It's, it's, it's a given. Uh, we you know, there's no way that you know, we can kind of ever downplay that. There will always be people that will disagree. There will always be people that just don't want to have a bar of it, and that's fine. But the other two groups are the ones that I want to focus on tonight because in that particular scripture, there was two other types of groups that Jesus addressed. Uh, the first type was the crowd. Jesus, he responded to the multitude. He responded to the crowd, which was the greater, uh, the majority of people were in the crowd. And so it says that multitudes followed Jesus many places he went. And, And all through scripture, you will find that. And Jesus said this to the crowd. And Jesus said that to the crowd. And the crowd gathered around Jesus when he performed miracles or, or Jesus addressed the crowd. He spoke to the crowd. And then the, so the second type is the crowd. The third type that Jesus addresses in this particular scripture and all throughout scripture, this is just one that uh, kind of highlights this, but is that he addresses the disciples. So you've got the people who dismiss the message, the people who are, uh, you know, they, they, they they don't want to be part of it, and that's fine. Then you've got the people who are the crowd that, that draw around Jesus, and then you've got the disciples who was, were the inner sanctum, those that hung out with Jesus, those that knew him intimately, that knew him in and out. And I want to unpack the second and third group of people tonight because uh, I actually think in, in those two groups, most of us would fit into that category. Most of us would either fit into the crowd or we'd fit into the disciples. And, uh, and then I want to have a look at it through what it means to be the church or what it means to be part of the church in, through those two particular 
groups of people. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that your word is living and it's breathing. Lord, it, ha- it does not go out and come back wanting. Lord, we just pray that uh, tonight and, and through the course of this week and over this season that we would be responsive to your Holy Spirit, that we'd be responsive to your message. And Lord, we just pray that there would just be something uh, of you that we could take away from this particular passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. So, uh when we went to America, uh, it's always been kind of one of my dreams to go to an African-American church. Um, I don't know if you've kind of seen movies, but I remember watching the Blues Brothers. And, uh, like, has anybody seen the Blues Brothers? And so, like, when they go into the, the church service and James Brown is, like, leading the choir, like, that's what I imagined African-American church to be like in America. And I was not disappointed. Uh, it was exactly how I dreamed about it. It was exactly how I found it. And uh, so there was 12 of us, and uh, there was 12 white people, and then we were the only 12. And, uh, but it, there, was, there was something amazing about the culture. We had no idea what we were in for. We were in West Los Angeles, which is a bit of a diving neighborhood, a bit scary. Um, but we kind of park our van and... Uh, and then we're, we're, we're trying to find this church, and then this lovely old black lady comes up to us and says, um, oh, are you guys going to church? You look like you're dressed for church. And uh, we're like, well, yes. And, but I, I, this conversation didn't happen to me because I was already taking off trying to find out where this place is because that's the type of person that I am. But um, So anyway, we, we, kind of, we caught the bus with uh, this group of people. And um, so we pulled up to one of the bus stops, and this guy, like, legitimately, he had bright red glasses with no lenses in them, just heaps of lines through them. And, uh, like, dressed, dressed, like, beautiful suit, just kind of hopped in, and, and I was like, it's the real deal. We are about to see African-American church in full flight. Anyway, so we walk in the door. And uh, we, get to the, we get to the kind of the second doors because there's so many doors. So we get to the second doors and there's two ladies dressed in a black suit with white gloves. And um, they open the door and they're like, can we help you? And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, we just need seats for 12. And so they, she shuts the door and I didn't know whether I was supposed to open it again. Uh, she went, went and talked to a friend and, and it, she said, oh, we're just going to try and find your seats uh, together. So... Like it was about a 3,000 seater auditorium and it was about 10% full at this point. So I was like, okay. And uh, so anyway, we, we get ushered in and we get to sit down and it was full on. Like tambourines were going. There was, it, it looked like the races. There was the biggest hats you've ever seen. Every time the preacher made a good uh, like a good point. There was this one lady on the front row that would, would walk up like this and then with her fan she would go, and then she would sit back down, um, and like, man, could they sing, and man, could they move? Um, we, like, you could tell that we had no idea what we were doing because all twelve of us were moving different directions. So, like, we're trying to sway with the music, but like, when and then at one point in the service, like, it was just the 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 moment was there, and then about seven people in the congregation just took off and started running up the stairs, started running around, and people just started breaking out, dancing, and um, I thought it was amazing. And uh, I've got a little bit of a clip, just so that you can get some kind of an idea. It is taken off a phone, so it's not fantastic quality, but have a look.
So, like, the music was insane, and they, it just kept going. So we, we got there after about, so we got there 15 minutes late, so there would already been three songs, and then there was another two songs, and then the announcer got up and did the announcements and then started a song himself into another song, and then the announcer got up again and did the offering and then started a song. And then he said, now for the pre-sermon chorus, we've got another song. And, um, and, and it was just insane. Uh, I loved it. And then at the end of the message, the preacher finished with a song. And uh, so I was just feeling very inadequate as a pastor because they set the bar really high. And, uh, but my point is, there was 12 of us that were participants, but the rest of the church were actually the church. We were there observing, you know, and, and, and while it was good to get into it and while it was good to kind of see how they do church, we weren't a part of, like, we weren't the church. We were just observers. We were, we were a part of the crowd. We weren't part of the in crowd. And, and so, you know, and, and this is what happened in that, in that passage of Scripture. There was the crowd... And then there was the inn, there was the disciples, there were those that were called. And, uh, and, and, and so often in times, church falls into two categories. You can be part of the crowd, or you can be part of the called. And, uh, and, and there's two stark differences. And so the first time that we see the church mentioned in Scripture is in Matthew. And so it's Jesus talking, and, and he addresses uh, Peter, and he says, Upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the, the word that he used wasn't the English word church. It was actually uh, what was tra- translated into the Greek word ekklesia, which looks like this. And I put it on the screen because it just it looks like an attractive word. Um, like I don't know if you've seen attractive words, but that looks like an attractive word because it's got like the dash. And uh, but ecclesia, sorry, it's my brain. Um, so ecclesia was a Greek word, and it was a Greek term that uh, was used in terms of their government. So the ecclesia was uh, it was made up of the citizens of Greece or the citizens of that Greek city state. So uh, it, Athens would have been about thirty to sixty thousand people, and the ecclesia was made up of six three thousand to six thousand. Civilian. So you had to be a citizen of Greece, but it was open to anybody. If you're a male over 18 and you're a citizen of Greece, you could be a part of the ecclesia. And what would happen in the ecclesia is that there would be encouragement, there'd be debate about issues and things that were pertaining to that particular city-state in Greece. So, so when Jesus uses this term, I will build my ecclesia, uh, it literally means the called out ones for a purpose. And, and so when, when, when Jesus used that term, uh, people don't necessarily associate church with that. When we think church, we think this. So we think a building, uh, it's just the next slide. So when we think of church, we think of that. We think of a location, we think of an area, we think of a building. That's the church. I'm going to church. I'm going, uh, I've got to go to the church today. We, we think of it as a place or a building or a, a, an establishment somewhere. We think of it like that. But in the early uh, years of the church, they didn't necessarily think of it as a specific point, in, uh, point of uh, vicinity or area or building. The church was the people that were the called out ones. They were the people that were called out for a purpose. They were the people that were called out to make a difference and, and, and to uh, fulfill the kingdom 
the kingdom mandate and the kingdom mentality for their community. So uh, it was a coming together to then go out. And, uh, and there's two kind of, there's two thoughts uh, in terms of, you know, the church. And when we think of ecclesia, there's people that think that the church should be removed. It should be a holy huddle, that it should be restrictive in terms of who's a part of it, that it needs to be all about righteousness. But then there's the, the kind of the contradicting view, which is where the church should be out at the coalface. It should be out in the mud. It should be out dealing with people's uh, their, their frailties, their failings, their error. Uh, so there's this kind of these two thoughts, but I think that the power and the, the real, uh, I guess, uh, I, I think that there's God in the middle. You know, where that there should be encouragement, we should totally be encouraged, and there should be uh, there should be a time when we can come together and, and and discuss things and talk about things that are going to impact our community and bring the kingdom into our community. But I think also there needs to be times when we are out on the coalface, when we're in people's troubles, when we're in people's problems, and uh, and, and so because in in the when the ecclesia would happen, there would be a crowd. There would be a crowd that would watch the act, the debate, uh, the, the speakers. There would be a crowd in the outer forum that would be watching it. But then there was the ecclesia, which was made up. It was uh, nominated yearly. They were the ones that were actually in the game. And so Jesus gives us this image of because because for. As soon as he said that word, there would have been an image in every Jewish person living in Rome uh, or living in that kind of Asia Minor, that Greece, uh, Grecian area. There would have been an image that came to their head, and it would not have been of a church building. It wouldn't have been of seats. It wouldn't have been a, of a place of worship. It would have been a, a, a time of robust discussion, a time of encouragement, and a time of actually getting things done. And... Uh, and so, the with the frame of of the I guess the history or the background to that word, I want to have a look uh, at our particular passage of scripture again. So if we could just go back to that one, it says, "But Jesus said to him, Follow me.' Oh, sorry, that's the end. I've got to got to go back in my iPad because my phone just died." Um, it says, And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but, to the, son of, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And so I want to have a look tonight at the two groups of people that I said. So there's the crowd, but then there's the called. So the crowd, uh, and, and then we're just going to have a look at, at, at a bit of a, a juxtaposing view there. It says, and, and here's the big thought. Here's the big idea. Why does the church exist? What is the church's slogan? And so, you know, we, we have our mission statement, which is people connected, communities transformed. And essentially what that means is our purpose in this church is to move people from the crowd to the called and to take people from observing to actually being a part of it and uh, and so because this is what Jesus did and he nailed it in his ministry he took people from the crowd and he called them into something greater he took somebody from the outer who was observing and he actually gave them a purpose and a calling 
on their life. And so, you know, and, and different calls come at different times. And, and, you know, sometimes we can fluctuate from the crowd to the called and from the called to the crowd. And, uh, but our purpose is to see people move from just being a part or observing the church to being a part of the church. And uh, just like in the, the African-American church, we were not a part of the church. We were never, ever going to be a part of the church. We were just observers, and it was fun. But, uh, you know, our, our goal is not that, that you just come here and sit on a Sunday. But if you're happy to do that, you're, that's fine. Take your time. We're not, we don't want to rush you into anything. But we, wanna, we want the call of God to actually move into your life. And that, that you come as a, as a crowd member, but you leave as somebody that's called and has a purpose. And uh, so I just want to have a, a look at, at the crowd first. So we'll have a look at the crowd and just uh, and, and kind of look at some attributes of the crowd. But the crowd, everybody starts in the crowd. Uh, in, in everything in life, everybody starts in the crowd. Whether it be a sporting team, when you first rock up to training and you don't know anybody, you're in the crowd. But over time and as you build relationship and as you build contacts, you become part of the cult. And, uh, or it, it might be a club of something else. Everybody starts in the crowd. So there is nothing wrong with being a part of the crowd. There's nothing wrong with just coming and sitting and observing. But, you know, church is not a movie cinema. You know, if we wanted to crowd every Sunday, we could put a movie on and we could say, well, church is packed out again. We watch The Last Jedi or, I don't know, but other, other nerd movies there are. But, um, you know, but church is not a cinema. And uh, because our purpose is to move people from crowd to cold. And so everybody starts in the crowd. The crowd can be fickle. The crowd exists on the basis of the crowd. So where the crowd goes, uh, or, or, or the dominant kind of thought in the crowd, that's where the crowd will go. And, uh, and so the crowd can be fickle. At one, at one point, the crowd in Jesus' life, they were saying, give us miracles. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few fish and a couple of loaves. But, uh, you know, not, not six months later, they were crying, crucify him. The crowd can be fickle. It can turn. On, on, on Monday, they were, sorry, on uh, Thursday, they were shouting, you know, Hosanna. And then on, on Friday, they were shouting, crucify him. The crowd can be fickle. They can turn. The crowd was drawn to Jesus by his miracles, but they weren't, sorry, they were drawn to Jesus' miracles, but they weren't drawn to him. The crowd are drawn to the action, but the called are drawn to people. And, uh, and so, you know, while, while you know, it, it's great to sit and it's great to observe, but it's actually when you, when, when you brush shoulders with people that you see your purpose come to pass, that you see the calling of God on your life. So, uh, you know, it, and, and that's why we really encourage you to be part of a life group or, or as long as somebody knows what you're going through because you can be part of the crowd and nobody knows your name. Somebody might come up to you and say, hi, or how's it going, or how is your week? But, but really, there's no meat in that. But it's, the meat actually comes when you're brushing shoulders with people. The, the, the legitimacy actually comes when you're interacting with people on a daily, weekly, or whatever it might be basis. The crowd were observing Jesus. The crowd would observe Jesus from afar, but they would never be drawn into, uh, or, or drawn into participation. So Jesus does the miracle where he feeds the 5,000. Now there's 5,000 people there, but only 12 distributed the fish and the loaves. Only 12 of them. There was 5,000 people that were observing the miracle, 
but only 12 people were part of the miracle. And so, you know, we're called to be a part of the miracle. You know, in in the the African-American church, we were listening, but we were not part of it. You know, because what what was being spoken was not pertaining to our lives. We didn't, we weren't invested in West Los Angeles. We weren't invested in that particular area of uh, of, of America. Uh, but you know, we were just listening, um, but we weren't participating. The crowd questions before it moves. The crowd asks questions before. So uh, the crowd moving is determinant on the answer to the questions. Whereas the call person goes in and asks questions later. There's a stark difference there. The crowd is motivated by the dominating opinion or viewpoint of the crowd. See, in church, you can be lost in the crowd. Uh, in, and, and unfortunately, in the crowd, it's easy to walk away because nobody, nobody knows where you're at. Nobody knows where you are. You can walk away and not many people will, you know, it might be weeks. It might be months before somebody realizes that you're gone. Uh, and uh, when it gets tough, the crowd will usually walk away or the crowd will usually walk out. But as opposed to the call. So the call acknowledge that they are called for something greater. And, and you know, people get, callings can come in many different ways, shape or form. You might be called to a specific area. You might be called to a specific uh, thing. But, but people answer the call when they get baptized. Like we baptized a number of people four weeks ago. They were answering the call of God on their life. And, uh, and so by acknowledging that they are called, that they are called for a purpose, they're called by God. See, the called don't care about the opinions of the crowd. Uh, the called are uh, motivated and they're guided by their calling. They're, they're motivated and guided by their purpose. The called ask questions later and the called don't quit if it gets too hard. The call is their pull. The call is what keeps them in the thick of it. The, th- the call is what uh, makes them itchy when they're not living up to that calling. I've seen countless people walk away because what what I like to, th- what I've seen in, uh, I've, I've been in youth ministry now for six years. What I've seen is that when people live short of their calling, they fill that gap with doubt and fear and insecurity. And what happens is the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, and somebody who, who has an incredible gift upon their life or somebody has, that has an incredible calling upon their life because they're, they're not living to the level of their calling. The gap just gets bigger and it gets filled with fear, gets filled with insecurity, gets filled with doubt. They might have stuffed up, but that's fine. And so they fill it with this and, and the gap gets bigger and they never ever get to see the true potential of their calling. And, uh, and so... The last thing is that the, the called can actually embrace discipline. So that scripture that we use, that we just read, uh, Jesus actually pretty much said something that would be uh, countercultural today. Like, uh, I, I want to join you, your crew, but let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. See, when, when people are called, they can actually embrace the discipline. They can actually uh, embrace uh, the, the ins and the outs, and, and they can actually... Because they're, they're moving, because as you move from the crowd to the called, the called becomes the crowd, and then you're called out again, and you're called out again. And so you, and, and because the call, when you live called, it's never, never comfortable. The crowd would never have accepted what Jesus said to his disciples, they would never have embraced the level of discipline that he gave his disciples. And one of the saddest things that I, can, I, I see in church is people that, that live 
one day in the crowd, but next day in the cold, and then one day in the crowd, and the next day in the cold. And, and so uh, there's a song by Regina Spector. Uh, it's called The Call. And, uh, and it kind of, I actually think that it gives the greatest insight into how a call actually develops on somebody's life. It says, it starts by, by saying this, it says, it started out with a feeling. And the crowd can be the place where you get the feeling. The crowd can be the place where you're like, I like to see what's going on. But, and it says, but then it grew into a hope. And then, and then that hope grew into a word. And then, and so, and then that word got louder and louder until it became a battle cry. And, uh, and so that's, I actually, it's not scriptural, but I actually think it's a great metaphor in terms of how God calls us. He calls us, it starts out with a feeling. It might start out with uh, just a, a notion or just a, hey, there, there's something in that. There's, there's something about that. But then that, that feeling then turns into a hope. And, the, and then that hope, it turns into a quiet word, and, and you can't seem to get it out of your head. You can't seem to push it away. And then that quiet word grows louder and louder until it's a battle cry, and it becomes the call over your life. And so, you know, the call becomes the holding pattern. And uh, it, it, it's, what, it's what restricts us, and, it what's, and it's what restrains us so that we can live on purpose. I, I quoted this last time I preached, but the coach of the Dallas Cowboys is, is quoted as saying that he says that uh, his job is to make men do what they don't want to do so that they can become the person that they want to be. And uh, like it's an amazing quote. And, uh, and so often we actually get caught in distraction. And, uh, and, and distraction is one of the greatest killers of a call because we, we busy ourselves with the immediate. We busy ourselves with, with something that's going to take our mind off it. But we actually distract ourselves from the person that we want to be and that we know that we've been called to be. And uh, so, you know, the, the call keeps you out of things, but it puts you into things as well. And, uh, you know, people think that coming to church and you have to be perfect, but it's not. It's as you come out of the crowd, the call refines you. As, you. as you step out in faith or as you step out of your comfortable zone, the call actually holds you to that. You know, it's like, oh, well, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to have to quit all of these things. Well, I actually don't necessarily think that's true. I think that once there's a call on your life or once, you know, you respond to that God pull on your life, that, that you find yourself in situations where you were before, where you were feeling fulfilled in this, in, in doing whatever you were doing, and, and you just don't find the same fulfillment. Or, or you find yourself in, in a situation where previously this would have been, this was your scene, but now it just, it doesn't fulfill you, or it doesn't seem to be like it used to be. And, uh, and, and that's actually what holds us in. It's not that we have to be perfect. Okay, so I'm going to be a Christian. Now I'm not going to be doing this and not going to be doing this and not going to be doing this. It's that the call actually, it carves off, it refines us. It, it moves us into the place where we can actually be most efficient. If I could just uh, grab every head bowed and every eye closed, I just uh, want to pray for a couple of areas. Uh, you know, maybe you're here tonight and... Uh, you know, you've you've been around church for a long time. You've participated in church, or you've listened in church, but you've never actually taken 
the opportunity to step out and, and, and go deeper or, or respond to that, that call or, or take the next step, whether it be joining a life group or whether it be joining a ministry team or whether it be getting baptized or, or whether it be going on an encounter retreat or something like that. But you, you've been observing and there's been a tug, there's been a pull, but you've never actually responded to it. You've been comfortable in the crowd. You've been comfortable around everybody else. If, if that's you, if, if there's... Uh, it's almost a frustration that, hey, I wish I just had a respond at that time. I wish I had have actually taken the step of faith and, and, and been involved in that or, 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 or gone up and, and joined that life group. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If, if you're here t- tonight and you know that there's, there's a call but, but you didn't respond, that you held back, if that was you, just slip up a hand and I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you next group of people that I want to pray for is maybe you're here tonight and there was a call that was put out if you want to make Christ the Lord of your life if you want to align your life with his align your life with the greatest call that there is it's the call of salvation if that's you tonight and you've never taken the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and yes to his lifestyle and his calling uh, the sacrifice that he made so that he could have perfect relationship with you. If that's you tonight, you've never said yes to the salvation that Christ offers us. Just With every head bowed and every eye closed, just give me a wave. I just want to be able to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, I thank you that you call every single one of us. Lord, the, the, you see us in the crowd and you call us out. And Lord, I just pray for those that that are feeling uh, drawn to the uh, a next step or, or, or going deeper. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just reveal that and that there would just be a that somebody that would be coming alongside that would just help us into that. And Lord, I just pray for, for those that, that have responded to the call of salvation, the call to your life. I pray, Lord, that, that we would just see an ease. There would be a grace upon that. And then, Lord, we would just see greater callings and, and, and greater purpose. Lord, I pray that there would be people that would come alongside. There'd be people that would come around about. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you've called every single one of us to not live in the world, not live of the world, but live in the world. And Lord, I just pray for people that are called to, uh, Lord, whether it be their workplace or, or an area or a, uh, a ministry. Lord, I just pray that there would that that call would become louder and louder and louder so that it becomes the battle cry of our hearts in Jesus' name.